Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. And all of you who are online and from every one of our other campuses, I welcome you. And everyone that is in person here at the Sugarland campus, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We began last week a new series entitled Back to the Future, thus the video introduction that you just watched. And it's an obvious connection to the movie series, Back to the Future, and especially a connection to that first movie that came out 30, 35 years ago. So what is this series? How does this series connect to some movie uh, series, Back to the Future? Well, exactly what I'm hoping will happen through this series and, and as God continues to move in our church is what happened to that main character in that first movie, Back to the Future. Marty McFly, 17-year-old young guy, and he desperately needed to get an understanding of who he was where he had come from, what life was about. And by sheer accident, he got transported back in time. And it was there that he came to understand where he came from, who his parents were, what they overcame to, in order to create the family that they created that he was a part of, who he was, and about his future and what really mattered in life. And it wasn't until he went through all these things that he was then ready to come back to the future. We've been through a pandemic as a church and it's knocked us a little bit off dead center. It has every single church. Every single church in the world has had to adjust and sometimes just sort of live to, to uh, exist, live to get through crisis management. But we want to get back to who we were before. We want to get back to how God was using us as a church pre-COVID, thus back to the future. And part of what that means is going back to Acts chapter one and two, going back to better understand who we are, where we came from, what we're about, and how God wants to use us now in our future. Now, one of the parts that you know about of this whole uh, Back to the Future series is that DeLorean, that car, and inside the DeLorean was embedded a time machine. Last Sunday, we had a DeLorean at the Sugarland campus. This Sunday, it's at Richmond Rosenberg. And next Sunday, uh, Missouri City, you, you get your turn. You cannot believe what this uh, DeLorean looked like because the guy who owns it refitted the entire interior to totally line up exactly with that DeLorean that was in the movie. It was unbelievable. All the, all the buttons you saw, some of the shots that were in the video bump were out, uh, shots of that particular car that was at the Sugar Lane campus last Sunday. What you got to do, if you missed it, you need to go to Richmond Rosenberg after this service and go and see it. It's not that far of a drive. Or next Sunday at the Missouri City campus, but get the opportunity to look inside this incredible car. Well, inside the car, there was a time machine called the Flux Capacitor. That flux capacitor gave it the ability to send someone either back in time or forward in time. So look at this video clip for just a few seconds. This is what makes time travel possible. The flux capacitor. Flux capacitor. The flux capacitor. So uh, 
Frank Flores is uh, the director of our uh, uh, worship tech ministry, and he impacts literally every single service on every single campus, and uh, even the online services. He has a direct impact. He's a great guy, very talented guy, loves the Lord, and does an amazing job. I was stunned when he walked into my office this week, and he showed me the flux capacitor that he built right there. Isn't that amazing? It's great, it's amazing, it's fantastic. So you can now travel in time. Yeah, uh, what you gotta do is, I gotta cover this up so you don't go blind while you're looking up in this direction. What you gotta do is after the two o'clock, we got a service, our last service at the Sugarland campus is, is, uh, ends at about two o'clock. So don't bother him between now and two o'clock. But after two o'clock, if you'd like to time travel, go see Frank Flores. Now, you need to bring some plutonium with you when you come, or if you don't have plutonium by chance, then a lightning bolt. Either one of those things apparently will work, and then he'll have the energy to send you wherever you wanna go. Now the flux capacitor at Sugar Creek though, is the Holy Spirit. Where we get our power, where we get our strength, to see God do the impossible is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same power that the first century church had is still the same power that you and I, our church has been given in the 21st century, the Holy Spirit of God. God wants to use this church. He wants to bless this church and Jesus, after he had risen from the dead, you know, the Bible says he began for 40 days to teach his disciples. For 40 days, he was with them. And during those 40 days, he was teaching them the things all over again that he had taught during his ministry. And one of the aspects that he taught was about the Holy Spirit. It's found in Acts chapter one. And in Acts chapter one, if you, would go, if you went back to the uh, main page or the, the opening page, the title page of your book of Acts, you're gonna see it's titled The Acts of the Apostles. Now that's not the title that Luke gave to his book. Luke wrote the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and wrote the book of Acts. And it's not that he gave the title, the Acts of the Apostles. That title, we don't even know what title he gave. Maybe he didn't even give a title. But later, as time went by, it was named the Acts of the, of the Apostles. I don't think it's a very good name. <gasps> no, that, I, I, am, I am not be doing something terrible by saying that. I don't think that's a good name is given to him. Why? Because when you read the book of Acts all the way from the very first chapter to the end of the book of Acts, it only talks about two of the apostles really. I mean, it mentions John a few times and the other apostles one or twice, once or twice, but most of the stories, all of them really are about, mostly about Peter and Paul and about their journeys. It's not the Acts of the Apostles, it'd be the Acts of two Apostles. But I think the better title is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. 
because from chapter one all the way to the end, every movement that the church went through, everything that these guys did, all the direction that they, they took, all the miracles that happened were all from the Holy Spirit of God, his leadership, his power, his strength. The acts of the Holy Spirit is what I think the book of Acts actually is. So I'm renaming it myself. <laughs> Who do you think you are, Mark Hartman? No, I think that that is a better fit. Listen to me. I've said many times to our staff and to our deacons and to others that would listen that the most fun I've ever had in my ministry, the times in which I saw the miraculous become normal in the churches that I have pastored, the times in which I have seen the movement, the hand of God in my life, I would describe it as the church became a runaway horse. And I was just hanging on the tail. I wasn't directing it. Our pastors weren't committees and deacons. It was a runaway horse and we were just hanging on the tail. And when you look in the saddle, there is the Holy Spirit of God. And he is moving and empowering that church to do anything beyond what I would have ever dreamt for it to do. And I've seen that happen in three churches that I've been a part of. I have seen that happen at Sugar Creek Baptist Church. And if there is anything that would be the definition of back to the future for me, it would be to get out of this pandemic and to get back to the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit as he begins to use this church in ways we could never even dream. This morning, I want to talk to you about this very thing. I want to talk to you about the power and the purpose. Because in Acts chapter 1, Jesus talks about these two things, the power and the purpose. First, the power. The power of the church is the Holy Spirit. As Jesus is telling, talking with for 40 days, day after day after day with his disciples and going back over the things he had already taught them while in his three and a half years he was with them, suddenly they were absorbing things like crazy. Their eyes were open. Their ears were open. They could see, they could hear. And everything had changed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they're absorbing everything. And Jesus tells them, I must leave because if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit won't come. While Jesus was on the earth physically, if he was in one town, he couldn't be in another town. He was limited by space and time. While he was in one town, he couldn't be in another town. But when he left, when he ascended back to heaven, the Holy Spirit came, and now the Holy Spirit can be everywhere, in every believer, anywhere in the world, moving and empowering and doing what he does best as he leads his people. Listen to how Jesus put it in Acts chapter one and verse four and five. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with his disciples, he had already risen from the dead. He is now meeting day after day for 40 days with his disciples. He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. He'd already taught them about the Holy Spirit before his crucifixion. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The early church did not have political power. They didn't have economic power. They didn't have cultural power, but they had a supernatural power. The power of the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? 
Well, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is God. We Christians, we don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God who has shown himself in three distinct ways. This is why we have the phrase, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit. Why do we make this statement? Because we see it all through, especially the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. It assigns this Messiah that is coming in Isaiah chapter nine as having the characteristics of God. It talks about this spirit of God. It talks about God being our heavenly father, but is in the New Testament that all three of these are put together and you will see them in passage after passage, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three identifications, expressions of God that he has given to us, but one God. Everything that can be said about God can be said about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is eternal, Hebrews chapter nine. He is the creator. In Genesis chapter one, verse two, it says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God hovering over the waters. You'll find verses in the Bible that talks about God the Father created everything. In Colossians chapter one and in in John chapter one, it tells us Jesus created everything. And in multiple passages, it says, the Holy Spirit created everything. But which created everything? All. There's one God who has shown himself in three different ways. The Holy Spirit is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is all present. He is God. Now notice that I am using the word he, not it. The Holy Spirit is not some force. It's not some, he's not some some uh, 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 inanimate object. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a human person, but a person. And just like we would call Jesus, he, we would call the Holy Spirit, he, because the Bible says that kind of terminology about him. The Holy Spirit is found in many, many places in what we call the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, you will notice that what he does is that he comes upon someone. The Bible in the Old Testament describes the Holy Spirit coming upon individuals for a period of time to accomplish some goal that he wants to accomplish, and then he leaves. But in the New Testament, you will see in the New Testament that every single time he comes into us, and he does forever. It is totally different in the New Testament. The whole relationship that we as Christ followers after the resurrection of Christ that we have with the Holy Spirit than anyone before. So Jesus told his disciples that in a few days, what we call Pentecost Sunday, that they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In the Greek language, there is a word that is called, that is en. It is the same idea in the English of I-N. But in the Greek language, that word E-N means three things, in, by, and with. In, by, and with. And every time it talks about the Holy Spirit baptizing us, 
Not with water like John did, but spiritual baptism. Every time it talks about it, it uses that word en, in, by, and with. So what does it mean? You can understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit by one simple word, the word into. So notice the first, the the Holy Spirit baptizes us into God's family. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit putting us into the family of God, into the church, into the body of Christ. So notice what he says, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. The Holy Spirit has fitted us all together into one body. We have been baptized into Christ's body by the one spirit and have all, circle the word all, been given that same Holy Spirit. So when does a person become a part of the family of God? When does a person become a part of the church? When does a a person become part of the body of Christ? It's at the very moment that you receive Jesus Christ as Savior. You now are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the family of God. We have water baptism and, and the Bible teaches us that we're to be baptized by water. It's a command of Jesus. But there is also a spirit baptism in which the Holy Spirit then places us into the body of Christ, places us into the church, into the family of God. And it happens the very moment we accept Jesus as our Savior. But there is a second part to this whole baptism in by and with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit also indwells our life. And notice in Romans chapter eight, verse 11. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. There's another verse in that entire passage. I wish I would have looked it up. So I know it's in Romans chapter eight. I'm not sure exactly which of the verses it is, but it makes this statement. If you do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in, in you, you are not a follower of Christ. The opposite is just as true. If you know Jesus as your savior, you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. That's what it means. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is two things. It is the Holy Spirit putting us into the family of God and the Holy Spirit coming to dwell inside our life. And both of these things happen at the very moment you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and savior. In two. Acts chapter one, verse eight says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then he describes that when the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two comes to indwell those people that were gathered in the upper room. The empowering of the Holy Spirit isn't getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit getting more of you. The power and effectiveness of the Holy Spirit within our life is in direct proportion to our surrender to him. The more we surrender our life in obedience to the word of God, the greater his power flows through our life. What I'm talking about is coming to the place in which you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit of God. It's not getting more of him, it's him getting more of you. So let me sort of illustrate what that means. This is a power strip. 
And I would imagine you've got a few power strips at your house. I got power strips everywhere. I love power strips. I love electricity and I love power strips. And so you can put anything that you can plug into the wall, you can plug in to a power strip. What you do is you take the plug and you plug it in to the electric socket or the uh, connector. You plug it in and then you plug the other things into these spaces and then you turn on the red button. And it's amazing. You can power power tools. You can power lights. You can power computers. You can power uh, copiers. You can power so many things with a power strip. But you know what? If you try to power the power strip by plugging the plug into the power strip, you get nothing. Absolutely nothing. And you know why? Because the power is not in the power strip. The power is in the electricity you connect the power strip to. And in the same way, you and I are a power strip. You and I, God wants to use us as a conduit of his power. He wants to use you in the life of other people, in the life of your children, of your parents, of your extended family. He wants to use you and I to flow through us like a conduit of his power. And what we've got to do is we've got to connect ourselves to God, to that power from which all of this power flows. We connect ourselves to God. It is not us getting more of God. It is God getting more of us. And as we yield ourselves to the power of God in our life, God uses us in ways we could never imagine. So this is the first thing that needs to happen. It is you and I making the decision, oh God, I yield myself to you. I surrender my life to you. And the more we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit, the greater the power that flows through our life. Jesus said, that when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you, if you will yield your heart to him, he will use you in a powerful way beyond anything you ever imagined. And the same goes for our church collectively. He has given us the power. Second of all is the purpose. Our church is to never lose sight of our purpose. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We don't create our own purpose as a church because Jesus is the head of the church. Mark Hartman is not, the pastors are not, the deacons are not. The head of our church is Jesus and he is the one that sets our purpose and he has set our purpose to be witnesses of Christ of those people that are around us and those people around the world there are some churches that establish their own purpose we're going to be this we're going to be about that but I read in the book of Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 the church of Laodicea that walked away from God we don't care about your purpose we got our own purpose and there in verse 20, he says, behold, I stand at your door and knock. 
If anybody will open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. He's not talking about an individual's heart. He's talking about a church that has pushed him out of their church. We'll do church our own way. We will be in charge of our own purpose. And when that happens, God walks out of that church. But for a church that takes the purpose of Jesus Christ and makes it the center of who they are, Oh, the power of God flows in and through that church. And Jesus has said to us, here is the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to be my witnesses to those people that are around you. Maybe it's your extended family. Maybe it's your family members. Maybe it's people you work with or people that you live by or people that are in your classes at school to be my witnesses both where you are and all around the world in the lives of people that you have never met. He is saying to them, I want you to be me in the world. I want you to be my voice. I want you to be my eyes, my arms, my legs. Wherever you go, you are me in the world seeking and to save those who are lost. The church together must grasp the idea that we are a people on mission for God. And our mission is this. Would you say our purpose statement with me? Our purpose is to love and lead all people to life change in Christ. It's got two parts. The first part is a person who's never come to know Jesus. All people that we help them to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then grow them and disciple them and develop them that they might become more and more like Christ. That's what the two words mean when it says life change. To love and lead all people to life change in Christ. In Revelation chapter 8 and verse 29, in a modern translation, it puts it this way. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. In the verse he uses in the Greek, the word predestination. What is it that he's predetermined in a way that cannot be altered? That one day every person that knows Jesus as Savior will be changed to become just like Jesus Christ. I got great news for you. One day you will be like Jesus. One day I will be like Jesus. I got hope for you. I got hope for me that one day we will be changed and altered and one day you and I will love like Jesus loved. We will, we will have joy like Jesus did and peace like Jesus did and patience. We will have patience like Jesus had and kindness and generosity and all of the characteristics of the nature of what the Bible talks, the fruit of the Spirit. One day you and I will be just like Jesus Christ. And we are on process. We are in the process of our lives being changed every day to be more like Jesus. I'm not a finished product. <laughs> you just have to be around me for a short time and you'll say, Mark Hartman's not a finished product yet. He hadn't gotten there. And neither of you, but we are on the movement. And the Holy Spirit of God will change us one day we will be in heaven and you and I will be just like Jesus Christ. And we have the church have said, God, if this is what you're involved in, we want to get in on what you are doing. Sugar Creek is not a social club. We are not an entertainment business. We are not a store that has customers. 
Sugar Creek is a family. The family of God that meets at this place, online, in person, the family of God, who has come together to be about the purpose of God, of seeing people's lives changed. Someone sent me a picture a few weeks ago. I love the picture. I've looked at that picture several times. I want to show it to you, but not yet. Don't put the picture up yet. The picture is of a guy in London, England. And he has decided to end it all. And he has gone to one of the bridges and he has climbed over the rail and he's on the outside of the rail and he is about to jump into the water. He knows that he'll drown. Other people are walking by. He's gotten on the other side of the rail. Other people walking by, they don't know who this guy is. But all of a sudden when they see this about to happen, they reach out and grab this guy and they won't let go of him. No, you are not jumping. I don't know you, you don't know me, but this is happening and I'm getting involved and they grab a hold of him and they began to wrap up this guy so much. And did you know that they hold on to him for one hour before there are, finally there are authorities that come that can rescue him. They hold on to him for one hour and they say, we're not letting you go. Now I want you to see the picture. It's an amazing shot. Here is the guy. He's about to jump off the bridge and look what they've done. There is somebody that has put in their arms uh, 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 through the rails at the bottom and holding on to his legs. I'm not letting you go. You see another guy who has grabbed hold of his belt. I'm not letting you go. And somebody has a cord. Who walks around with cords? I don't know. I, don't have, I would love to know the story of the cord. But there is the cord, and they've wrapped the cord around his legs. You see that? And around his waist. You see that? And up to his shoulders. They've wrapped the cord. And notice they've tied the cord over to the right. You're not going anywhere. And notice the people that have gathered around him and are hugging him. And I can just imagine whispering in his ear, no, you don't have to do this. Well, I'm not, let me go. I just want to jump into the water. No, I'm not letting you go. I'm not letting you go. And they hold on to him for an hour. And I look at that picture and I say to myself, this is what God has called Sugar Creek Baptist Church to be. To rescue people that are around us who do not know Jesus as their savior. Maybe those people are members of your family. Maybe they're extended family members. And you say to me, if you knew this person, you would not like this person. I know they need Jesus. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody in your classroom. Maybe it's a neighbor next door. Maybe it's just somebody that's at a cash register in the store you go to. Who's your one? You see, you and I have people in our lives that God has brought our path across and he wants us to be used by his Holy Spirit. Let his spirit be in us and be surrendered to him. He'll give us the words to speak. 
Let him use us. Let him use you to make a difference. Who's your one? Who's your one? We have had 1,600 people, adults and teenagers, who have been trained in what we call the three circles. I love the three circles. The three circles are the most, is the easiest way to understand how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so easy. You can learn it so quickly. But the goal wasn't to be trained in the three circles. The goal was to use the three circles. To share Jesus with somebody we know, our next door neighbor, the person we work with, the person in our family, the person we go to school with. The purpose of the training was so we would use it. Go and brush it off. Go and go through it again. Get, get it down. Who's your one that God is sending you to? God has done something to this church I can't explain. Our church now has people from 90 different countries and 70 different languages who are a part of our church. I've been told by several people there aren't five churches in America like ours. Really, there's no church in America like ours. But you know what they're trying to say. It's the most amazing phenomenon. I've got a friend, he and I go way back, decades, I won't tell you how many, and we've been great friends. And I haven't been in, in, in a conversation with him in so many years. And we, we um, caught up with each other and we were on the phone. He said, well, tell me about your church. And I told him what's happened to this church and all these people from all different countries in the world that have gathered together in this church. And he said, how did that happen? And I said, I don't really know. I don't know, it just happened. And you know what he said to me? Okay, now that's the spiritual answer. Now tell me, how did it actually happen? And I said, I don't know. There was no strategy, there was no anything. We, we, here's what happened. God said, pray that Sugar Creek looked like our region. We live in the most ethnically diverse city in America, Houston, Texas. Did you know it's been named that? More diverse than any other city in America, Houston, Texas. We live in the most diverse county, at least the last I heard. Maybe something's changed, I don't know. I haven't heard anything in a couple of years, but the most diverse county in America, Fort Bend County, the most ethnically diverse county in America. And what God led in our heart to do was to pray the prayer let us look like our region. And what happened is, it just happened. It just, it's like this giant magnet over the building and then over all the buildings in which God just began to, to draw people from every, from, from every place in the county and people from all over the world and began to converge on this church. And now I'm told that there's not five churches in America that are like this church. And all I know is that God wants us to look like this region so we can reach the region. And one day, we're gonna look like every other church because every church in America one day is gonna look like this church. And it's what's coming. And yea, God for it, it looks like the United Nations came to this church. It looks like every person of all around the world came to this church. And yea, God for that. And all we did was say, God, whatever you want is fine with us.
And this is what God is doing in this place. The third thing I want you to see in the passage is not just the power and the purpose, but notice the third point, that the church is to be united in love. And notice how he puts it in Acts chapter one, verse 14. All of these with their minds in full agreement devoted themselves steadfastly to prayer, waiting together. They're waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that, and that happened 10 days later. But notice the phrase full agreement. All of these were in full agreement. Now don't understand what that phrase does not mean. It doesn't mean that they agreed on every topic because that's humanly impossible. You get a group of people together, you will not have everybody in full agreement about every subject. And we don't have in our church. But what it does mean is this. All of those in full agreement in their love for Jesus and their love for God's word and their love for the purpose of God to be accomplished in and through them. That is what that, those words actually mean. And all of these in full agreement devoted themselves steadfastly to prayer waiting together. What holds a church together, what was intended to hold a church together is our love for Jesus and our love for his word and our love for his purpose. The force of us coming together in unison to love Jesus, to love his word, to love his purpose is that the Holy Spirit's power will flow through us and he will use us in a way we never dreamed possible. There's a last thing I want you to notice in the passage and that is that the church was devoted to prayer. All of these with their minds full, in full agreement, devoted themselves steadfastly to prayer waiting together. In that time of prayer, those 10 days as they were waiting, they got their heart right with God. They got their heart right with each other. They asked each other to forgive them. They turned their heart fully devoted to what Jesus, who Jesus is, and what Jesus had told them to do. And, and, and in full agreement, the word of God, God, whatever you tell us to do, we surrender ourselves to you. And when they were fully surrendered to God, the power of God flowed through those people. What do I want? What am I praying for with Back to the Future series? That God will do something in and through our church that binds our hearts together even more closely, that, that our hearts will be clean, that our hearts will be forgiving, and our hearts will be unified around our love for Jesus, our, our love for his word, the purpose of Christ in us reaching others around us and around the world. And this is my prayer. Oh God, take us back to our future. And tune us again to be a runaway horse. And all I'm doing and the pastors are doing are hanging onto the tail. And the Holy Spirit of God is taking our church to places that we never dreamed. That's my prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today.
And we've been given an opportunity again today to go back through time, 2,000 years ago to the first church and to see why the, the power came, where it came from and why the power came. Fully devoted, Lord Jesus, to you and to your purpose and to the word of God. Oh God, bring us to the end of ourselves. We might come to the beginning of you and use us in such a way that it seems like we're just a runaway. Our church is just a runaway horse. That you are doing things in and through this church we never dreamed because we were willing to push ourselves to the side and say, oh God, whatever you want, whatever you want, you can use us. You can use us. Move in our hearts today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.